Turn with me, please, to the book of Jeremiah, chapter 30. Today we're going to talk about Israel, which obviously has been in the news for a couple of weeks now. As many people concerned, in addition to what I just mentioned to you, China is saber-rattling going on in China, going on in Russia, North Korea, claiming that they've been insulted and they will not take this insult lightly, and on and on and on. It's not the time to be fooling around. This is the time, as the scriptures are coming to pass right before our very eyes. This is the time to be with those ten virgins that went out to meet the Lord, right? So we'll just say they were all Christians. And five said, you know, well, we got time, and these delaying is coming, and all of this. And the oil got low, the wicks weren't trimmed. And when the bridegroom came at midnight and there was a shout, they missed him. They missed him, and you don't want to miss him. There'll probably be more evidence as we go forward in our present history but there's so much evidence now that points that this is the book that God wrote. This one right here. And it's the only one that he wrote. With that in mind, we're in Jeremiah chapter 30. I'm going to begin reading at verse 4, where the Bible says, And these are the words that the Lord spake. Keep that in mind. This is recurrent. A recurrent statement we find in the Bible. The Lord spake. Thus saith the Lord. No prophet of the Bible ever claimed they were speaking on their own. This is what I think. All of them kept saying, the Lord told me these things. And we know that God did because most prophecies have already come to pass. And we're watching the rest right before our eyes today. Amen. These are the words, verse 4, that the Lord spake concerning Israel and concerning Judah. For thus saith the Lord, we have heard a voice of trembling of fear and not of peace. Keep in mind the context is basically Israel. Ask ye now and see whether a man doth travail with child. Wherefore do I see every man with his hands on his loins as a woman in travail and all faces are turned in paleness? Alas, for that day is great so that none is like it. It is even the time of Jacob's trouble, but he shall be saved out of it. For it shall come to pass in that day, saith the Lord of hosts, that I will break his yoke from off thy neck, and will burst thy bonds, and strangers shall no more serve themselves of him. But they shall serve the Lord their God, and David their king, whom I will raise up unto them. Therefore fear thou not, O my servant Jacob, saith the Lord, neither be dismayed, O Israel, for lo, I will save thee from afar." and thy seed from the land of their captivity. And Jacob shall return, and shall be in rest, and be quiet, and none shall make him afraid. For I am with thee, saith the Lord, to save thee, though I make a full end of all nations, whither I have scattered thee. Keep that in mind. Yet will I not make a full end of thee, but I will correct thee in measure, and will not leave thee altogether unpunished. In Jeremiah 30, I want to begin this message, which I have simply given the title, Israel, Past, Present, and Future. By necessity, this has to be abbreviated, because this is a very large part of the Bible. I also want to tell you that the study of eschatology, which is the study of the last days, last things, is not an exact science. Contrary to some teachers, I mean the good teachers, sincere teachers, contrary to what some of them actually believe themselves and therefore want you to believe that it's an exact science, that it's going to come to pass just the way they say. And I have more books in my library, and I have a huge library of books, 
I have more books on eschatology in my library than any other subject, theological or otherwise. Most of my books are on eschatology. And the one place that I've come to in my own thinking and in my own view is that the study of things to come, eschatology, is not an exact science. God has painted for us, in my opinion, in broad strokes, the general concepts and events that are occurring and will occur. But I would caution you as your pastor to be careful when people are sure this is exactly the way it's going to play out. My reading of many, many decades has brought me to the conclusion that we still see, as we read in 1 Corinthians 13, as through a dark and the image is not entirely clear. We do know certain things that satisfy, everybody's satisfied with the virgin birth, deity of Christ, the atonement, Christ's blood on the cross, the resurrection, and on and on. These are certainties that most every Christian denomination, or any Christian denomination that is truly Christian, agrees on the essentials. When it comes to this particular subject of eschatology, we again have things in general categories. We know the Lord is going to return. We understand the book of Revelation to talk about the great tribulation, which we'll mention today, and so on. But the specifics... I am comfortable saying I'm not entirely sure how this will all play out precisely, but it will play out. That's just a word from my experience, because I listened to a lot of teachers, or I did in the past anyway, and it can make you very confused. I gave up confusion a long time ago. I don't let it confuse me, because the broad strokes of God's brush have already been painted, and I see the signs coming and we see the signs here with us now, and that satisfies me. The most important thing, as I mentioned to you just a few minutes ago, is that you're right with God. And I would suggest that if you don't believe everything in this book, then reject it altogether, because there really is no option. The Bible doesn't leave us. Like Jesus, never left people with an option. There was three choices. There was two. Believe or don't. And that was it. And that's still it to this day. We come across this verse where it says it's the time of Jacob's trouble. And we will come back to that as we talk about the future of Israel and we talk about the past and the present as well. Listen to this, and I want you to just to listen to this. In Isaiah chapter 61, this will give you a clue of the difficulties we face in interpreting the Bible as it concerns the future in the subject of eschatology. In Isaiah 61, beginning at verse 1, these are the scriptures Jesus read when he began his ministry. And he opened up the scroll in the synagogue and he read these words from Isaiah 61.1. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He hath sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to them that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And then he stopped. If you have your Bible open to that passage, you'll see there's more written. But that's all that Jesus said. Because what was not clearly understood, and this is what I'm presenting to you as evidence, that understanding the future when it comes to the scriptures that are written about the future, there are things that, let me say it this way, when we're looking back at it, then we can understand how it played out. Jesus stops in the middle of verse 1, verse 2 rather, which says, and I'll read it again, he sent me to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. But then he closed the book and never read the B section of verse 2. And the day of vengeance of our God. Now they go together. But what was not seen is that they didn't go together in time. His coming now, 2,000 years, is what we know as the age of grace. And God has given grace. 
And he's given an invitation. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest for your souls. Be saved, repent, and believe. That's the era we've been living in for 2,000 years, or nearly. But then the day is coming, and it certainly seems like it's getting very close, will be the day of vengeance of our God. When Jesus returns the second time, it would not be like the first time. He came in the first time, and he says, I don't judge. Then later on, he says, I am appointed to judge at the appointed time. So what I want to show you in Isaiah 61, and you can go all the way down to verse 3, to appoint unto them that mourn in Zion, and Zion is the context, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they might be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord that he might be glorified. That still has not yet occurred in its entirety. So I'm pointing out to you that looking back, we see it more clearly. Uh, by the way, when you're reading the Old Testament, always make sure you're understanding it through the New Testament. This is the lock. This is the key. And this is how we know these things. But so many people, in sincerity, I believe many of them are sincere. You see, we like certainty. And that's good when you have your relationship with Christ about eternity. But we cannot be certain about every little detail. I told you there's over 44,000 Christian denominations worldwide. And they don't, well, if they all agree with each other, we'd only have one church. And God still, by the way, only has one church. But all these finer points separate all these Christians. I mean the sincere Christians, the ones that are truly born again. And that's important for the local church to, you know, to make sure that people that attend the church are in agreement with the doctrines. But in the world in general, to broaden this idea, in the world in general, there's going to be a huge surprise. I want to read to you the words of Robert Jaskrow. He was a very notable astrophysicist, and he was also an agnostic. And as he was reflecting on the dilemmas that confront scientists today, probably always will, he said this in his book called God and the Astronomers. He said, for the scientist who has lived by his faith in the power of reason, the story ends like a bad dream. He has scaled the mountains of ignorance. He is about to conquer the highest peak. As he pulls himself over the final rock, he is greeted by a band of theologians who have been sitting there for centuries. What he was trying to convey, perhaps not precisely as I'm conveying it, is that in the end, this book will be proven to be true. That all along, the things that this book was saying, and the preachers who were preaching it, and people like yourself who are reading it and sharing it, all along, it was the truth. And I'll say this again. We all are getting provided with so much evidence. There shouldn't be any doubt. I'm going back to this today. There shouldn't be any doubt that you would be saying in your heart, this day, in October 2023, I've got to give God all my heart, all my strength, all my mind, all. This is the time to give it all. This is the time to... Give it all. You're being provided with evidence, though once again, precisely how every detail will play out, in my opinion, we don't know. Again, I've listened to some of the greatest teachers of eschatology in the world. We had one that came here on a regular basis, but I never was convinced that this is exactly how it will go. But we do know it's going to occur. Christ is going to return. Let's look at some of these things today. The first thing to know about Israel's past is that God has covenants with them that have not been broken. I'm not going to, again, this has to be truncated, this message has to be shortened, and just be brief about things. I can't elaborate on everything because of time. But simply stated, God has covenants with Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, David that has not yet been totally fulfilled. 
If you know anything about replacement theology, it's been around for quite a while. The church is now Israel and all of this stuff, but that is not what the texts say. Let's look in Genesis chapter 17 at verse 1. And when Abram was 90 years old and 9, so he's 99, the Lord appeared to Abram and said unto him, I am the almighty God. Walk before me and be thou perfect. And I will make my covenant between me and thee, and I will multiply thee exceedingly. And Abram fell on his face, and God talked with him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with thee, and thou shalt be a father of many nations. There's number one. Neither shall thy name be called Abram, but thy name shall be called Abraham. That's two. For a father of many nations have I made thee. I will make thee exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of thee, and kings shall come out of thee. And I will establish my covenant between me and thee and thy seed after thee in their generations for an everlasting covenant. There's three. And I will give unto thee and to thy seed after thee the land, that's four, wherein thou art a stranger, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. Four basic promises. God promises Abram who has no, well, he has Ishmael. We'll get back to that. He promises Abram offspring that the stars of the heavens, you couldn't count them for multitude. He promises him the land, which is the main point of contention. Not the only point of contention going on over in Israel right now, but it's one of the main ones. Who sits where? Who owns the city of Jerusalem? We'll talk about that. Who owns the land? Whose is it? And the blessing of Abraham himself within the blessings of nations, which is the seed of what we read in Genesis chapter 3 of one that will come forth and be the savior of the world. Abraham was 75 years old when God spoke to him and told him these promises. But when he was 86 years old, and women don't take offense, but it was his wife who talked him into that. This isn't working out. So go into my concubine and let her have the seed because clearly somehow you got the signal wrong. You got the message wrong. And so Ishmael was born, father of the Arab nations. And God basically was saying, no. Amen. You and Sarah. Now, he's 99 he was 75 when the promise was made. He's 99 years old, and he still doesn't have a child. And he has a 90-year-old wife. So picture this older couple in your church that keep telling testimony night that God spoke to me 15 years ago, 14 years ago, and told me that my wife and I are going to have a baby. This baby is going to multiply. The children that I have will be multiplied so that you can't number them all. Out of one of those, there'll be a savior of the world, and on and on and on. It sounds ridiculous, but let me tell you this. As much as we see the evidence around the world right now, still people don't seem like they're getting, people who know the Bible don't seem like they're getting the message. So I'm repeating myself again. Now is the time to be 100% in, full in, full in, because we're seeing the evidence of these things and many more that I'm going to read to you today coming to pass right now. They're coming to pass right now. So here's this old couple in the church, and they're telling people that God told me. But this is the same battle that you're in and I'm in. We walk by faith, not by sight. We don't walk by the events of the day as much as we walk by what God has said in this word. Though it's much more dramatic in Abraham's case to be 99 and his wife is 90. She's past the childbearing age and they're old. Yet God presses our faith in the same exact way. Every single one of you, myself included, Every single one of you are pressed in a similar way, right to the max, right to your limit, to believe God. Do you believe, Jesus says to Martha in John chapter 11, do you believe? Well, I've told you, do you believe I can do these things? He asked those that are sick. 
You believe? That's the question. Do we really believe this? So that's the Abrahamic promise. Once again, God promises to make Abraham a father of many nations. And the fact that, I just said, the Messiah would come. In Genesis chapter 26, we have Isaac, who is the promise, who Sarah gave birth to. Verse 1 through 5 says, And there was a famine in the land beside the first famine that was in the days of Abraham. And Isaac went unto Abimelech, king of the Philistines, into Gerah. And the Lord appeared unto him and said, Go not down into Egypt, dwell in the land which I shall tell thee of. Sojourn in this land, and I will be with thee, and will bless thee. For unto thee and unto thy seed I will give all these countries. And I will perform the oath which I swear unto Abraham thy father. And I will make thy seed to multiply as the stars of heaven, and will give unto thy seed all these countries. And in thy seed, okay, we're talking about children, shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. That's Jesus. Because that Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my law. What you're going to see here as we go to Jacob is basically the same promise made to Abraham repeated. Abraham believed God. He staggered not the promise of God, but stayed faithful. And we just read it in God's commandments and laws. And so Sarah gave birth to Isaac and Hagar gave birth to Ishmael. And you know the story there. The promise made to Abraham is repeated. Now to Isaac, same promise. Let's go further in Genesis chapter 28 and read these words beginning at verse 1. And Isaac called Jacob. Remember there was two twins, Jacob and Esau. And God said, not, not Esau, Jacob. This is, by the way, this is a comfort. It should be a comfort to you. It will be a comfort to everybody who comes to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, that God is sovereignly working out his plan in the world. We're taught, let me give it to you, we are taught in the word not to let our heart be troubled, neither to let it be afraid. This is an interesting verse when you read John chapter 16. Jesus says, he mentions that, these things I have spoken unto you, spake unto you, that in me you might have peace, but in the world you shall have tribulation. That we could talk about, and we can't, based on time. The fact that there's this polarity of what we'll call a symbiosis. Two things that don't seem to go together. I speak these things to you, to you today, so that you can have peace. But in that world, you're going to have tribulation. What is he talking about? He's saying that peace will come from the inside. So when you're watching the news and you're seeing terrible things, keep in mind this as well. Some people have a real hard time reading the Old Testament because terrible things are talked about. The reason Jonah did not want the Ninevites to be forgiven is because when they had attacked Israel, they were ripping up pregnant women. I mean, just ripping them wide open, which God told them would happen. And then he gave the Assyrians and gave Nineveh and the Ninevites a second chance, let's say. So we read through these things. You're seeing things on news that are very disturbing, and we're hearing more and more disturbing things, all of them written in this book. So the peace that comes within Again, in John chapter 16, the words of Jesus, uh, verse 33, where Jesus is saying, you're going to have tribulation in the world, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Amen. I have overcome the world, and I will come again. So we'll get to that. Let me tell you something, here, my friends. If this doesn't cheer you up, what you're going to discover in the days to come, if it's not already, that nothing's going to cheer you up. I mean that. You can watch whatever you want to watch, and you're going to find out that it's fleeting, but this is not. It's rock solid. It's the foundation of our lives. And so God goes on. In verse 3 of Genesis 28, And God Almighty bless thee, and make thee fruitful, and multiply thee, that thou mayest be a multitude of people, and give thee the blessing of Abraham to thee, 
and to thy seed with thee, that thou mayest inherit the land. The land is mentioned a lot in these covenants. That thou mayest be a multitude, give the blessing of Abraham to thee, verse 4, to thy seed with thee, that thou mayest inherit the land wherein thou art a stranger, which God gave unto Abraham. And Isaac sent away Jacob, and he went to Padanaram, unto Laban, the son of Bethuel, the Syrian, the brother of Rebekah, Jacob, and Esau's mother. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. And again, I'm abbreviating things here. David in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 8. Now, therefore, so shalt thou say unto my servant David. This is Nathan the prophet. Thus saith the Lord of hosts. Nathan isn't saying, I think this is what's going to happen. Never, not once ever, did anybody who wrote this Bible ever say, this is what I think is going to happen. This is how I figure it. They always say, this is what the Lord has said. In dreams and visions and voices of God, he said, say this to my people. And in this case, Nathan is talking to King David. 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 8. Now therefore so shalt thou say unto my servant David, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I took thee from the sheepcote, from following the sheep to be ruler over my people, over Israel. And I was with thee whithersoever thou wendest, and have cut off all thine enemies out of thy sight, and have made thee a great name like unto the name of the great men that are in the earth. Moreover, I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them that they may dwell in a place of their own and move no more. Neither shall the children of wickedness afflict them anymore as before time. As since that time I commanded judges to be over my people Israel and have caused thee to rest from all thy enemies. Also the Lord tells thee that he will make thee an house and when thy days are fulfilled thou shalt sleep with thy fathers and I will set up thy seed after thee, a singular, which shall proceed out of thy bowels, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name. I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. So quickly, so I don't neglect this, we know that Solomon built the first temple, but it was destroyed. Second temple was rebuilt, and that was destroyed. So they can't be forever as fulfilled through Solomon, but the promise is given to David. Verse 14. I will be his father, and he shall be my son. If he commit iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men and with the stripes of children of men. And very briefly, this goes into what I just showed you from Isaiah 61. The prophecies have sometimes a dual fulfillment, which they certainly have in the life of Israel. And so Solomon certainly committed iniquity, and he was disciplined severely for that. But we're talking about something further than Solomon, beyond Solomon. Verse 15 but my mercy shall not depart away from him as I took it from Saul, whom I put away before thee. And thine house and thy kingdom shall be established forever before thee. Thy throne shall be established forever. According to all these words and according to all this vision, so did Nathan speak unto David. When we look at Jesus, just to get right to the point, what do we find people saying to Jesus? Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. We see there is a dual fulfillment. One was with Solomon, who built the temple. David was not permitted, as you know, to build the temple. And Solomon was commissioned. That temple was destroyed. Israel was taken off the land. And their first diaspora spread not out to the nations, plural, but to a nation. First, the ten northern tribes went to Assyria. And the two southern tribes went to Babylon. But then they came back. Then they were dispersed again in 70 A.D. And they have... From that time until the 19th century, and then into the 20th century, and now the 21st century, they were dispersed to all the nations all over the world. All over the world. David's seed would be the son of God. This is the promise. 
David's seed would build the house. It's not yet been built. And Israel is continually to push with that. The build the third temple that Ezekiel mentions. That David's seed would reign from the throne of David forever and from the city of Jerusalem and that David himself would witness these events. So we talk about the resurrection. So we have all of these things and we have these promises and what I want you to know very simply is this. A covenant was made with Abraham, repeated again to Isaac, repeated again to Jacob and then further elaborated upon through David, a covenant with the land, the very land itself, the people of Israel have a covenant. And what we witnessed, well, we didn't witness it. We weren't there. We weren't alive. That all of a sudden, in almost 2,000 years of being put off their land, God did something that has never been done in world history, ever. A nation taken off their land. A nation that was dispersed for almost 2,000 years, maintained their inheritance, maintained the scriptures to some degree, were custodians, as we do not that for sure, as custodians of particularly the Old Testament and the commands of God through Moses and so forth. They started little by little to come back to a barren wasteland that at the time was called Palestina or Palestina. And now when you open up your book or you go online, it says Israel because God said this would be. And by the way, so you know this, the coming back out of the nations, God delivering them out of the nations to bring them back to a land that was not theirs for 2,000 years. Now that promise includes the coming of the Messiah. When Menachem Begum was the prime minister of Israel, he believed that God has a specific purpose for Israel, and he's right. That God has a specific covenant with Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, David, with the land itself, and so on, that he intends to keep, and we're watching it happen right now. Without going through all the details, like I said, it's a study all in itself, of all the details concerning Israel and the events of the book of the Revelation and so on, we're watching with our own eyes and ears the things that Jesus said, the apostles said, the prophets said, coming to pass right before our eyes, so I'll say it again. If there was ever a time to be all in, all the heart, all the soul, all the mind, all the strength, don't be found in a place that you give more time and attention to your job, which I'm not saying that you shouldn't be the best employee, that you can be on your job and make sure God gets more. Because your employer is not going to bring you to heaven. And your social security, your spouse, or your children, your grandchildren, they're not bringing you to heaven. God is. Amen. Jesus said two words, follow me. Amen. Follow me. And this is the time to follow him. When you see these things, he says, look up. And I know that some of you are greatly stressed. And don't think that when I had that procedure, we go, well, that was a walk in the park, that it was fun. It was not. But these are the things that we live through. But when you're fully committed to God, you could say, if I perish, I perish. Because I know where I'm going. I know whom I believe. And I'm persuaded that he's able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. This is the time. We're not looking for religion the way we use the word religion. We're looking for a relationship. We're looking for people to say, why are you so different? I'm a Christian. And explain to them. I don't mean be arrogant and put them down. Explain to them what the book says. You that know it. You that read it. This is the time to be all in. And I want to exhort you as your pastor. Be all in. Be all in. This is not the time to be dragging your feet. There are many of you here today. You wouldn't dare show up late for work. But there's some odd thing, and I think it's partly demonic and partly sinful, that we have this loose relationship with other believers, maybe with God himself. This is not the time for that. This is the time to be all in. If you can testify the way I do, that I can, as my friend Harry Donald used to say, that he could preach in the dark because the Bible was so in his mind. 
Well, I don't have it memorized the way he did, but I can preach in the dark. I can grab verses out of my mind because I've studied them for so long. And believe me, they were a great comfort when there's no one around to pray, no one around to call. They're happening right before our eyes right now. And what we see in the 19th century, as some Jews begin to trickle into the land, it starts to go further and further and further and further and further. Until 1948, there's an official proclamation that this nation is now Israel, which was endorsed by President Truman on May the 14th, 1948. And Israel was put back on the map. Not on the map, back on the map. Because God said so. Can these dry bones live? We hear the prophet Ezekiel. And Ezekiel says to the Lord, well, you know, I don't know. He says, speak to the bones. And all of a sudden, the bones, the skeletons get up out of the dust. The flesh comes on and the sinews and they become living beings. In Ezekiel, talking about the new covenant, he said, I'll take out the heart of stone and I'll put in you a heart of flesh. In Jeremiah chapter 31, concerning the new covenant that's made with Israel that we have been grafted into. Keep that in mind. The new covenant is not for Christians and the old covenant is for the Jewish people. It's a new covenant made with the Jewish people by God that we are now privileged to be part of and to be taking from these promises made to Abraham, a Jew, Isaac, a Jew, Jacob, David, all Jews. Every writer of the book was Jewish. And we are partakers of that. But Israel also has its day. And part of it is this thing called the time of Jacob's trouble. That they would be regathered, you can read it later in Ezekiel chapter 37, it's repeated, I'll take you out of all the lands and I'll bring you back to the land that I gave originally to your forefather Abraham. That they would be declared a nation and of course we know this, this happened before most of us were born. Some of us here were born a little bit before 1948, but none of us were born in the 19th century when it began, little by little, through the prophet Zechariah. God says, I will return to you a pure language. Hebrew was only spoken as a holy language, much like Latin, even though Latin is the official language of the Vatican. It's considered a dead language, though technically it's not. And Hebrew had just disappeared from the face of the earth. It was adulterated by all types of other languages being mixed in. One man, Eliezer ben Yehuda, came along and said, you know what? We need to return Hebrew to the Jewish people, to the state of Israel. And he spent his entire life searching the whole world for a word here and a word there, made this massive lexicon. And now, if you go and you look up Israel, so what's the official language of Israel? It's Hebrew. Amen. And it hasn't been for 2,000 years. These prophecies are already past. God just spoke about Israel in its past. Promises were made to them that have not been abridged, they have not been taken away from Israel, and they will be fulfilled. And just briefly, the city of Jerusalem. Let me read this verse to you from Zechariah chapter 12. This includes the restoration of Israel to the land. Zechariah 12 verse 1, the burden of the word of the Lord. Once again, Zechariah is saying, this is the Lord speaking. I'm just a messenger. Saith the Lord, which stretches forth the heavens and lays the foundation of the earth and forms the spirit of man within him. Behold, I will make, listen, I will make Jerusalem a cup of trembling unto all the people round about when they shall be in the siege both against Judah and against Jerusalem. And in that day I will make Jerusalem a burdensome stone for all people. And all that burden themselves with it shall be cut in pieces, though all the people of the earth be gathered together against it. One city. Name me the great cities of the world, and you can do it right off the top of your head. There's Rome, and there's Paris, and there's New York, and there's Hong Kong. And we go on and on and on and on. All these great cities. 
But God mentions one that will be a burden to the whole world. Don't think that in, let's say, our White House here, other governments that are involved with the Middle East and the things going on in the Middle East, don't think that they're not troubled when they keep hearing there's another disruption. Not only in the nation, but over the city of Jerusalem. One city. There's also Tel Aviv and all these other cities. But God said there's one. One. Jerusalem. And we're seeing these prophecies come to pass right before our very eyes. My question to you is like in the book of Acts when they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Men and brethren, what shall we do? Is this the time for us to be concerned about other things that don't have any eternal value? I mean, you have to do certain mundane, ordinary things. Or is it reasonable to say, well, this is the time to press in. This is the time to be full in or full out for the Lord. By the way, that does not make you a fanatic. Fanatic, as you know, by a loose definition, is someone who forgets their way and redoubles their effort to get there. They don't even know where they're going. I've met religious fanatics, Christian fanatics. They don't even know what they're talking about. Some of them are in pulpits. We're talking about being reasonable, that this is reasonable. I gave a message some time ago that Christianity is reasonable, that we have evidence. I've spoken to people who are intelligent, not only intelligent, but they have big degrees and big letters behind their names, that I could submit evidence as though we were in the court of law. That would be a preponderance of evidence or would be beyond reasonable doubt to a reasonable mind that God wrote this book because you're seeing it come to pass with your own eyes and with your own ears. Let me add something else too. It is not designed to make you afraid. It is designed to encourage your heart if indeed your relationship with Jesus Christ is in a proper order. You are to be able to look up. In the world we have tribulations, but there's a spring that Jesus talked about. The Holy Spirit. A spring of waters, likened to waters, that come up from the inside. And the outward man may be perishing, but the inward man is renewed day by day by day by day. Because God intends to keep us as well. We are the church. We're not really clearly seen in the Old Testament. And then we come into the New Testament in the book of Acts. And as Peter goes out, Gentiles are being saved from other nations. And as they report to the elders and they tell them these things, they scratch their heads. These are all Jews. They scratch their heads and say, so even the Gentiles are part of these promises? And that's what Christ taught. Of course, that's what the Apostle Paul, they all taught the same thing. The Gentiles now grafted into the promises given to Abraham, Isaac. For us, it's a bit different. We are the ecclesia, the called out ones. Come, my people. Come. I'm inviting you to the table. Jesus gave parables about this. Man has a wedding feast. The guests that were invited don't come. He says, now go out into the highways and the byways. Every place you can find anybody, bring them in. That's you. That's me. <laughs> Man, I tell you. I'd rather have Jesus, the song says, than silver or gold. We need silver and gold. But I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. I'd rather have Jesus than riches untold. I'd rather have Jesus than anything this world can afford today. It all perishes, but the inward man never perishes. And one day will be resurrected again at the return of Christ. Maybe we go to the rapture first. Amen. But we're not there yet. So Israel, we have, again, very briefly, it's past. The promises made, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, David, to the land itself. And then we understand Israel present. That's not too hard to figure out. Most everybody can understand that. But the future of Israel. We read in Jeremiah chapter 30, verse 7, Alas, for that day is great, so that none is like it. It is even the time of Jacob's trouble, but he shall be saved out of it. Two things are mentioned there. 
that it's not going to be an easy time. Now, I'm just specifying the nation of Israel. It's going to go through a very, very difficult period mentioned here by Jeremiah, but it's not the only one. Jesus talks about it. We know it as the Great Tribulation in Matthew 24, Luke 21, Mark 13, a period of time specifically for Israel. But the people of the world also will be tested. There will be opportunity to be saved during this period of time. But the Holy Spirit, as we understand Bible prophecy, will not be here. He will still be working, yes. We read in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16 and onward, we read about Christ coming for his church, taking the church. We know it as the rapture. I went through this with you not long ago. The word rapture, no, it's not in Greek, and no, it's not in Hebrew, but it is in Latin, and it comes from the Latin Vulgate, the Latin translation of the Bible, so it's the same thing. Now, we believe that that will happen before the Great Tribulation, and this is one of the points that I want to mention to you, that we do not need to divide the body of Christ over our understanding of how things are going to work out. Dogma is necessary, and to be dogmatic from time to time is necessary. This is what we believe here. But that doesn't exclude us from fellowship with other Christians who hold a different point of view. Because no one who's truly born again doubts that Christ will come again. That's in every major denomination of Christianity. He will come again. And when we read the Apostles' Prayer, which I've read to you from time to time, he's coming to judge the living and the dead. Not like the first time. Behold the Lamb of God that paid for the sins of man. The day will come as we read through the book of the Revelation that people will pay for their own sins with their own blood. And that, my friend, is not what you want. Accept the mercy of God. It's a free offer. If you were in a court of law today facing serious charges and the judge had every right to put you in prison, let's say, for life. And he says, but I'm going to offer you mercy. I'm going to offer you a merciful plea. I'm going to adjudicate this case by giving you mercy and letting you go. No one, well, at least no one in their right mind, we turn down an offer of mercy when you're facing a life sentence. We must come to the realization, especially when we read Jesus' words in the book of the Revelation, we must come to the realization that the end of all flesh is going to be a place called hell, something so unspeakably horrible that Jesus said it wasn't created for men, it was created for the devil and his angels. But if we choose by an act of the will to follow that same devil, we will have his same fate. And God says, no. God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son into the world that the world through him might be saved. And that's what this word means, saved. Doesn't mean you're going to have a better life now. These ridiculous things that are being taught from pulpits. I mean, my life has been better since I received Christ. But I don't live on a compound. I have a modest, very nice house. I drive a modest, very nice car. But, well, I'll leave the false prophets go. But I tell you this much, Jesus talked about them. Beware of them, he says. Beware of them. They come in sheep's clothing, but they're not sheep. They're looking to take you into a fate that sounds to them and maybe to you, not you, but to people like the gospel, but it is not the gospel. You want to know what the gospel is? Read the book. Read the book. This is the time for us to press through in prayer. When the bell sounds for prayer, in a metaphoric sense, we come for prayer. We meet with God. You should, and this was my ambition when I was a young man, to pray without ceasing. As people pop into my mind, I just start praying for them. Some I haven't seen in years. I don't know what's going on in their life. Just pray for them. I mean, this is what I do. We're not only called to a time of prayer, but a life of prayer. Pray without ceasing. And this is the time to be praying without ceasing. Because hell exists. And we are the ones, the watchmen, so to speak, on the wall. You know the truth. If indeed you know the truth. 
And you are obligated to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. This is not fanaticism. This is not promoting fanatical behavior and all of these things that are done in our world today in the name of God. It just simply means being dedicated and being focused because the future at the moment is unfolding. Come with me to Matthew chapter 24 and I'll share with you what I'm talking about. The time of Jacob's trouble is also known as the Great Tribulation. In Matthew chapter 24 verse 3 and as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, obviously speaking of Jesus, the disciples came unto him privately saying, Tell us, when shall these things be? And what shall be the sign? He was talking about the destruction of the temple. And what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you. The first thing he said is deception. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. Now listen. For nation shall rise against nation. That's in your morning paper. This on your news, on your internet. Nation shall rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There shall be famines, pestilences, earthquakes in different places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted and shall kill you. And this is specifically talking about, again, those during the time of the Great Tribulation, and specifically Israel, and the believers on Christ. And ye shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake, and then shall many be offended, and shall betray one another, and shall hate one another. And many false prophets shall rise, and shall deceive many. And because lawlessness, iniquity, shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. We're seeing that right now. If you've been in the Lord for some time, I mean a few decades, and I've been in many decades now, I've watched people who were once very fervent for Christ that are cold. They're simply cold. Some people are experiencing this, unfortunately, in their marriage. There used to be a burning love. Now it's icy cold. And Jesus rebukes the Ephesians in the book of the Revelation, chapter 2, because he says you have everything straight, your doctrine is straight, you read the Bible, you go to church services, but you forgot one thing. You lost your love for me. You're no longer really in love with me. If your fire is getting low, if your oil is getting low, if you've not been trimming the wick of your spirit, do it today. Trim that wick Get filled with the oil of the Holy Spirit. Let him come up inside you. Renew your faith. Renew your commitment. Don't be cold. For he says to the Laodicean church, if I come, I would prefer you either hot or cold. But if you're lukewarm, I will spit you out of my mouth. And I did not make that up. And I did not write that. I'm repeating what Jesus said. So where do you want to be? You want to be there as those five wise virgins? You're ready. And it might not be today, and it might not be tomorrow, but it's getting close. It's getting ever so close. And I'll remind you of this. As you see things that are definitely disturbing, definitely disturbing, we must still keep our heads up. As we do what we can, talking to a friend of mine, and I was telling him why I don't worry about many things that I see is because I can't do anything to stop it. And I can't affect all these things except one way. I have a pulpit. I have a prayer life. You have a prayer life. You may not have a pulpit, but you got a prayer life. And you got friends. And you just get filled with the Holy Spirit. And you're led by the Holy Spirit. And God shows you and takes you. And you say in the morning when you get up, Lord, lead me today. Very quickly. Years ago, many years ago, my wife and I used to go to the mall on Mondays. That was my day off. Our children were small. So, you know, just kind of browse and just have lunch and make it a day out. And I remember that day being in prayer, and I said to the Lord, I had one gospel track. Now, I had more than one, but I only took one. 
I said, there's someone that you want me to talk to today, Lord. So I'm only going to take one in faith. Could have took 15. I took one. We're in the store, and some woman comes over and sees one of our children that was in a stroller at the time and starts talking to the baby. And I really sense in my heart, this is the one I'm supposed to talk to. But I never did. I never did. And so she left the store, and I really felt like I had missed the opportunity. So I prayed right there on the spot, inside. I said, God, I just feel like I really missed the one person that I had this track for. If you give me a second chance, I won't miss the second chance. All of a sudden, she came back around again to the same store, the same conversation with the baby. And I stopped her for a moment, and I began to ask her some questions. She began to cry right there in the mall. She just started crying. She was suicidal. She was severely depressed. She went through all these different things. And without knowing who I am, and she said, and you know, I'm a Christian and all this, I said, well, I'm a pastor. I said, do you think it's any coincidence that on this day that you're at this low, low point in your life, that God would send a pastor into your life, gave her the track to have a time of prayer with her? Why? Because this is the time. I'm not saying just take one track. I'm saying that's where my faith was that day, that there's someone today that God has me to speak to, and I took it in faith that I speak to the one right person. What became of her, I don't know. So Jesus tells us about these things, the beginning of sorrows, hated by all the nations, false prophets, iniquity. Verse 13 of Matthew 24, but he that shall endure. If this was an easy walk, there'd be no reason to say endure. You don't have to endure things that are not difficult. You're enduring because it isn't easy. The same shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom, rather, shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then the end shall come. Right now, the Bible is translated into, I forget how many thousands of languages, you can get it on apps. You can get all these study materials. And it's constantly being translated into more and more languages. More than half the languages on the planet right now, these people now have access to the Bible. And the gospel is going out through the airwaves of radio, television. It's going out all over the place. We are living in these days. We are living in the times of the return of Christ. We're living in the times that are preceding the day of Jacob's trouble. And you can watch it today when you go home and watch the news. I'll say it again. This is the time to be full in, full out. Mind completely focused on God. All the other things will come with it. Because we seek first. Matthew 6, If you seek first the kingdom of God, all these things shall be added unto you. You're going to have clothes to wear and food to eat. And God's going to take care of you and your family. Because he said so. He promised to. He promised to. We know if we read 1 John chapter 2 that there's a figure going to come on the scene called the Antichrist. 1 John 2, 18 and 19 says this, Little children, it is the last time. That's 2,000 years ago. You have heard that Antichrist, that singular, shall come. Even now there are many Antichrists, whereby we know that it is the last time. They went out from us. And that's interesting, that these people were associated with the apostles and the apostolic church in the early days. But they were not of us. In other words, not everything that's sitting in a church building is actually a Christian. Keep that in mind. For if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us, that they might be manifest that they were not all of us. And so this leads us to a figure named in figurative language in the Old Testament and also in the New Testament in a direct way here, Antichrist, and then in other figures of speech or metaphors and parables as well. A man called the Antichrist that will dominate the world. Let me just, again, put this in here. So we have Bible prophecy teachers that are telling you they write books, and America is definitely in Bible prophecy, and he's going to spare us and all this stuff, because that's what we want to hear. 
I'm not here to say that we're not in Bible prophecy. I'm here to tell you I don't know. And that's a lot of years of studying. I just refuse to be dishonest. I just refuse to tell you what you want to hear. We're good. We won't have the same troubles everybody else is. When it's purely evident, we already have the same troubles everybody else has had. Why? Because we've distanced ourselves from God, not only in the government, but in the church. In the pulpits. And you know this. But to go back to my point, I don't know. Is America in Bible prophecy? i got books on there that tells me it is. I've read them. Then I just put it back on the shelf. Because I'm not convinced. I don't know. But at least I'm honest enough to say, I don't know. I don't feel a need to have to pretend I know so that you think more highly of me than you ought to think. Which is the temptation for a lot of people in pulpits. They want the crowds to think more highly of them than they ought to think. When the truth is, we cannot be certain about who some of these nations are some pretend they do know, and they may be convinced they do know. I'm for one telling you I'm not sure about some things. I wouldn't call them minor details, but the details. But I know the broad strokes, and I know Christ is coming. It seems reasonable to believe that the Antichrist is on the earth right now. And I can't say that I know he is. I'm just saying it seems reasonable that he is right now. What does that mean? We're getting set up. All the evidence, folks. We have retina scanner. We have China can identify every. They have a billion people. They can identify any single person at any single time. Everything about them, and it's going on all over the world. The National Security Agency has been monitoring our phone calls for 50 years. They used to have a saying in national security, National Security Agency, we read your emails so you don't have to, and we know these things. We know these things, but men and brethren, what shall we do? Shall we be, as Christ said, the people of prayer? When Christ comes, shall we be that one that is standing? I talked about last week in Ephesians 6. Are we willing to be identified with Christ? Even though father, mother, children, whoever don't agree, whatever they do, are you willing to stand? And having done all to stand, because the heavens are going to open up. And we believe, once again, the rapture of the church, the repair, will happen prior to the great tribulation. For, for me, it's a small matter. Because either way, God is going to take care of his own as we read through the book, both Old and New Testaments. God will never abandon. I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. The promise of Jesus. The promise of God himself come in the flesh. Matthew 24, verse 27. For as lightning comes out of the east and shines even unto the west, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For wheresoever the carcass is, the eagles will be gathered together. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, that's the book of the Revelation, a seven-year period. Immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened, and the moon shall not give her light, and stars shall fall from heaven, and the powers of heaven shall be shaken, and then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. Now this is the second coming, not the rapture. The sign of the Son of Man in heaven. Then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. He shall gather together his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. Now learn a parable of the fig tree. When his branch is yet tender and put forth leaves, you know that summer is near, or nigh. So likewise ye, when you see all these things, know that it is near, even at the doors. Now again, there's a lot to explain here, and time is not permitting me. This is a huge study. Take weeks and months to go through and pull everything apart. This is an overview, and almost to state the obvious of what you already know about world events, but related to the fact that God said, this is how it's going to happen. This is the way it's going to go. Be assured, my brothers and sisters, be assured, no matter what you're going through, God has it all 
under control. And that's not just a trite statement. So God has the whole world in his hands. He actually does. Because from the very beginning, you can go to the book of Deuteronomy. And Moses talked about the falling away of Israel and being restored to the land. That's thousands and thousands of years ago. Why? Because only God can accurately predict the future. The fortune teller can't and all these people who pretend that they're hearing things. Only God can accurately predict the future. And he says, this is how it's going to go. And his plan is being fulfilled to the letter right at this moment, right at this time in history. Here we stand in a little obscure place in upstate New York. And we're broadcasting all across Africa, India, Pakistan, all these places right now. And the radio as well. And church after church after church in those places are also broadcasting all over the world saying, He's coming. He's coming. Jesus is coming. God is fulfilling His word. Amos chapter 4, I'll finish with this. Therefore thus will I do unto thee, O Israel, because I will do this unto thee, prepared to meet thy God, O Israel. God talks about saving a remnant that will understand the covenant of Jeremiah chapter 31, again Ezekiel, and then of course as Christ, the Christ has come, a remnant will receive Christ, they will look for Christ in Israel, while the Gentiles keep coming in. We must have a deep appreciation for the nation of Israel because we truly owe them so much. You might argue the point that we owe God everything, and I would not deny that, but he said, I chose you. He could have chose any nation that he wanted, but he chose them, and they are and have been, up until Christ, the custodians of the word of God and kept it in all the nations where they went. And now they have returned to the land. And now we see, in my estimation, what we are looking at is the beginning of the time of Jacob's trouble, the time of the great tribulation, the return of Christ, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. We need to be in great understanding about how we need to walk and how we need to behave. There's manifold temptations out there. We're all facing them. But we must resist, as the book says, steadfastly in the faith. If you thought the work was going to be easy, somebody misled you. Maybe you misled yourself. Jesus talks about carrying the cross, a narrow way, and all of these things. We must be reminded. This was not going to be easy. And I'll just leave you once again with, and you read it later, John 16:33. These things I have spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulations, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Amen. Even so, come Lord Jesus. Keep that in mind as we go to prayer. That's how the early church ended their services. Or they greeted one another. Maranatha, which means, come Lord Jesus. I've mentioned several times today about being all out. I am not promoting fanaticism. I'm promoting dedication. I'm not promoting strange behavior. Um, promoting God-like behavior, what you know in the scriptures. My question to you once again is, where are you? Like God said to Adam, Adam, where are you? Please don't let your response be, I'm hiding. I'm hiding from others. I don't want them to know I even attend this church. I don't want them to know I read the Bible, and on and on. Don't be one who is hiding. You don't have to go out every morning and make everything known. Just stand. Stand for Christ. Don't back down. Remember what Jesus said. If you deny me before men, I will deny you before the angels and the Father in heaven. Don't be one. Don't be one. Father, we pray today. Continue to pour out your spirit. Continue to touch the hearts of people here, those that are watching by way of our live stream, those that listen by way of radio. 
and help them to understand the times we live in and that this is the time to accent that first commandment to love you with all the heart, soul, mind, and strength and not to neglect the second commandment. Love one another. Love one another. Love your neighbor as yourself. Help us, God, to be in a position when you return to hear you say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Well done. You today, make sure that you're all in. You're all in. You're actually going to find yourself to be much happier than you ever were before. All in. The assurance given to you by God the Holy Spirit, it will definitely be yours. So, Lord, we thank you for this day that you made and set aside for us to be exhorted, to be reminded, to pray, to sing, and to rest. And to rest. We give you praise and we give you glory. Lead many souls to you, even here in upstate New York. Let the church be filled with people who have received Christ, truly received Christ. Let them be baptized, then baptized with the Holy Spirit, and touched and filled. We give you the praise. We give you the glory. From the rising of the sun to the going down of the same, the Lord's name is to be praised. So look up. Say to yourself or other brethren, Maranatha, even so, come Lord Jesus. To me, this is the greatest way to palliate your anxieties and your depressions and your other issues is to say, this isn't going to last, but what I have in Christ is going to last for eternity. And we will return to the earth in a new heavens and a new earth, a paradise. Think about that as you go home today. We give you the glory. We give you the honor. Remind us during the week to love you with all of the heart, all of the soul, all of the mind, and all of the strength. And then secondly, to love one another. Help us to truly fulfill this. And if we do, by your spirit and your grace, you said we will fulfill all of the law and all the prophets. We give you all of the praise. We give you all of the glory and all of the honor today, Father, in Jesus' name. Can you say amen with me today? Amen.